Welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 223. I'm your host, Brian. Remember this evening, Mac. Uh, I think it's 283. 283, you're right. I got it wrong again. I was... If it was 223, I'd have about 20 less gray hairs <laughs> and a better lease on life. And of course, the dumbass himself. Common sense is like deodorant. Those who need it most never use it. <laughs> I always, you know, it's funny. You, common sense is one of those things that I think is not common, right? Mm. I mean, I, I, just, I mean, it's cultural, right? It's not. I mean, this idea that the common sense is anything other than like what cultural, and it, it varies from person to person. I, I just, I think that the word common sense is misused. Um, I think that maybe we could devise some things that are common sense, but. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't always buy it. It's a cultural thing, and from culture to culture, what's common is different, too. So how common is it? It's very, very different from culture to culture. What is, it is exactly pretty much what you just said. What To say something is common sense is essentially to say, any fool should know this because I know it. I mean, all right. Do you want to shit over everything I say anymore? <laughs> hmm? Hmm? No. Okay. Okay. Well, fuck this shit. I'm out. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm back. Well, we finally got him. You know, <laughs> for years we've been trying to get him to blow up, and over common sense, it's common sense. You don't blow up over that. Uh, I <laughs> you can't make a good uh, <laughs> hang up. Like I. I I tossed the thing as hard as I could, just made a loud laugh. <laughs> uh, so I, I made a mistake last week when at the beginning of the podcast. I said, and very boldly, that 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 Florida was more anti-vax than Texas. And I was wrong about that. Florida is actually doing better than I thought as far as um, vaccination rates. Um, Florida's vaccination rate is 64.7%. That's two doses. Full, or they say fully vaccinated. And Texas is at 58.4. So they are doing better than we are, but not the worst. The worst is Alabama at 49%. <laughs> and I guess it's the usual suspects, right? It, it kind of is. It kind of is. But, you know, you know, you hear Ron DeSantis out there, who I, I think is vaccinated, um, but won't admit it. I, I think I agree with Trump on that. Oddly enough, I agree with Trump. Um, and I know my governor is vaccinated. He got and he still got COVID, and he still got the monoclonal antibodies when he got sick, right? But he, but our governor in Texas is vaccinated. Um, I think a lot of these people that are out there, you know, being vocal about being, being anti-vax on, you know, the the, you know, Tucker Carlson and these guys. I think they are vaccinated. Um, but yeah. me, uh, yeah. far from me to uh, deny any claims of hypocrisy in uh, media <laughs> government. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And not, it's not exactly a stretch, is it? By the way, yeah. So I was wrong. Texas is more anti-vax in Florida. So there you have it. But, but it isn't as, it isn't as big in, in Texas as it is in Alabama. Mm. I disagree. <laughs> I think everything is bigger in Texas. <sighs> Not well, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have some good things to say about Texas later on. So there you go. Yeah, just wait for that. Yeah, wow, that's 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 incredible. Anything else we got? 
Well, we do need to pimp Ian's new story. Oh, do we? What's his new story? Or or the the same as the last? Is time? is it finally dragons in uh, space? Or no, uh, after dark? Well, no. Okay, so I guess of what I know about is that he's about to release the collected edition of the vacations, and that's what he's going to be releasing <laughs> oh. on the first of February. And I know that because he's asking me for cover art for it. Oh, so you, you do artwork? <laughs> I do, as a matter of fact. You might have noticed because I do, you know, at least half of what we do in artwork. <laughs> yes. When, when we had artwork regularly, it was mostly you. Yep. yep. All right. Well, I guess, I mean, who introduces it? We, you know, Mad Cat isn't here. She's under the weather. Ian's under the weather. Who, but. But we have two people. Brian, uh, oh, yeah. How yeah. often do you introduce it? Oh, that probably it has been. It's been a long time since I've introduced it. But I, I can, I can. It is now time for Ian and Dumbass's masturbation moment. Brought to you by the Brought Dumbass, Dumbass Media The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's masturbation moment. Brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. <laughs> the article that I have in here is, uh, Expert advises daily masturbation to wet, that's W-H-E-T, your depressing dry January. So, dry January is not, uh, so they're saying this is not about not masturbating in January then. I mean, dry January could be a lot of things. I mean, it could be. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, um, yeah. The, the dry January uh, is about uh, avoiding alcohol in January, right? Oh. So, yeah, I, I think so. I think I mean, uh, it, it could be the snow we're having in Colorado. <laughs> You're avoiding a dry January with snow, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying that we could be referring to dry January as being the the snow we're getting in Colorado. Okay. All right. Well, in this case, I think it uh, is referring to alcohol. Right. It's, uh, the article is uh, all about placing that alcohol you're not having with some fun elsewhere. This is from uh, Ness Cooper, who's a clinical sexologist in Britain, and she is encouraging people to masturbate every day in January, saying that it can uh, help uh, stave off seasonal depression. Is that true? Is it, I mean, is there any clinical research to suggest that that is true, that, that masturbation helps with with Seasonal depression. She, I guess she's linked. Sure. She says I'm, she says studies show it's the most. Oh well, studies yeah. show it's the most miserable time of the year. That I I do agree with, but but I guess where I'm taking issue, and and it maybe it can, but I didn't realize that that anybody had done any research to to show that masturbation helps with seasonal depression. I would not have made that connection right offhand. I think you have to masturbate under a sun lamp. Uh, well, okay, but here's the thing: is that the bright light of that sun lamp, if you use it in the morning, right, when, when you know, the kind of the lack of the sun is and, and you get that bright light exposure, it actually probably would help with um, with this seasonal depression. So in that case, I, I, th- I think it's not the masturbating, it's the lamp. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's going to make you feel something pleasurable for at least a little while, and it probably won't make you feel worse unless you have, like, real big guilt issues over masturbation or anything. Right, which on this podcast we do not. <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> but uh, I mean, uh, her her basic advice is to like just take time to spend time on uh, 
doing stuff for yourself. And, you know, I would say, and I, I think she probably would agree that it doesn't have to be masturbation. Just like having some sort of pleasure can uh, probably help your, your mental health. Are you but, not just, uh, I think, I think, hold on. Uh, so are you not just swapping one addiction for another? I mean, come on. <laughs> We've covered masturbation. Oh, right. Brian. Okay. It's not a thing. <laughs> well, and, you know, I'm going to make a point here. Dry January is not necessarily about about addiction. It's more about just simply, I guess, it's more about showing that you don't have an addiction. Right. Well, I mean, they're calling it as a about, a, you know, a health thing, right? If you look at the dry January stuff from Wikipedia – I mean, well, it kind of goes, it doesn't really say what it was originally for, but it does seem like it is a way of demonstrating that you aren't addicted to alcohol, right? That you can, you know, take a month off and, without a problem. All right here, here's, uh, here's that uh, research you were asking for that she's basing some of this on. Oh, okay, good. Um, so her kinky claims are backed up by research conducted by sexual wellness brand Plus One which found that women diagnosed with depression or anxiety found psychological relief in regular masturbation. Uh, okay, that's who did the research or the who published it? Um, it said conducted by them. Who published the research? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't I don't hate the idea, right? I mean, the idea of masturbate, I mean, if you if you're not drinking, masturbate instead. I I'm I'm totally behind that. It just seems this the seasonal depression thing. I'd love to know more about that connection. Yeah, uh, they they put like a few links on here. Um, not okay. much to like the actual research that they're they're citing. I mean, it's a it's a plausible connection, and you know, it, it might be that uh, that uh, there's only a little bit of uh, evidence for it uh, out there, and that, and that's what uh, she's going on here. Um, could also which, be. Uh, that sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say it could also be that they're they're just seizing upon something that is going on right now which is seasonal depression and saying okay well you know people will be looking for articles on seasonal depression let's point them toward this yeah so plus one okay well i'm, I'm just i mean s- yeah i mean I, I've, I've seen things like this happen before like uh, a small amount of research and uh some people just jump on it uh weekend limited research and uh, make it uh, uh an actual uh piece of advice that they give their patients or whatever and uh, as far as i can see there's nothing wrong with this advice uh, especially like if you qualify it here because she uh, she does go into uh how like some people who can't uh, orgasms due to certain reasons okay and uh, that you should you shouldn't feel like too much pressure to have an orgasm i think that's um, always the case right i mean i think and that's something i think we've talked about the more pressure you put on something like that that you know just psychologically you can you can um, make it that much harder to have the orgasm it, it, because of because of the pressures around it, right? We, I think in such as orgasm, I think where we see those kinds of um, um, performance anxieties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and and uh, if uh, uh, you know, like if you can't get yourself to orgasm for whatever reason, you, you can't get yourself in the mood that often, or or whatever. Yeah, it's, what she says is that it's important to focus your mind on the situation you're in and allow yourself. To truly switch off and concentrate on you. And, you know, don't be afraid to experiment. That's fair. What's the deal with the half grapefruit picture? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's weird. That like, Okay. All right. I see what they're doing there. Uh, they're, they're trying to make it look like a vagina that they're rubbing. It does look like that's what they're trying to do. That's a fleshy vagina. 
<laughs> or vulva. I don't know which. I mean, what, what are we looking at? Is there a clit there? Yeah, how are... <laughs> Well, the finger they're covering it, if there is. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I, you know, they're usually not that acidic, though. <laughs> they're not supposed to be. Uh, but, you know, but if you, you can probably kill off a yeast infection with high acidity. You could. All and right. I imagine, uh, I imagine a grapefruit vagina would probably never actually get a yeast infection. Why, why, did they not, why do we not have a banana as well, then? Why, why just the grapefruit? Where's the banana? It goes into the grapefruit. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, are you saying male masturbation isn't uh, uh, isn't covered as much? I'm saying it's not covered here as much, <laughs> um, but I think in general, I think in general, it's covered a lot more. <laughs> we we are just correcting that balance, Brian. Yeah, well, uh, Brian, sometimes sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, Brian. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right. All I know, all I know for certain, and this is based upon my own experimentation is that if you go into the pharmacy and you ask them for your if you ask them for your your little blue blood pressure pills while making quotation fingers they feel really weird about giving you your lisinopril <laughs> oh no ah uh, guys uh you guys want to talk about scams with me yeah so there there there's um a lot of different types of scams out there, right? And I think we've talked about them. And there's there's ones where, like, there's the the um, um, social security scam. There's the refund scam. And this particular article, the, this this is um, this scam is more like um, you know they they were trying to get a scam a grandmother out of money because uh, out of somebody that she's related to was in trouble. And that's another one that we've seen people would, um, who have gotten emails like, um, you know, your, their gardener needs to get home from Europe and stuff like that. So, so we've seen those kinds of scams as well. Um, so this is this is similar in that same vein. And that what happened here is this this 73 year old grandmother um, who went by the name of what she said, she's Jean, was got a call from a person claiming to be her grandson. And he had been, uh, or about, maybe it was about him first. He had been put in jail for drunk driving. And, um, you know, basically he, you know, he, he was going to need money to get for, for bail. And so it, it was three different people. And I guess he, it, it was actually the, the, the person actually started calling her grandma. Yeah. And, um, and, but she knew it was a scam right away because she doesn't have any kids of driving or grandkids of driving age. But instead of just hanging up and telling him that, she she proceeded with the scam, and and so you know got went through three different people: one claiming to be the grandson, one claiming to be the lawyer, and one claiming to be the um, uh, the bail bondsman. And the bail bondsman was going to come to her house and get the eight thousand dollars. She says, "Yeah, I've got I've got it right here. I've got the eight thousand dollars. Go ahead and come get it." So the guy so the guy comes to the door, gets gets the money. And as he's walking away, the police tackle him. So, but so obviously, there's multiple people involved in the scam, and the only person they got was the money mule, right? That so they got the money mule. Um, but I mean, this this is the dumbest way that I've ever seen one of these scams run. Yeah, it's not. These are amateurs. These are total amateurs that that did this. Um, it, well, I mean, but the, the even, of- even even as uh, somebody who. Uh, 
who's uh, not uh, all that uh, in, you know like knowledgeable about these scams, I'd be like, yeah, I don't want to meet with uh, the people in person. I mean, they're they're looking to try an element of social engineering, but they're trying social engineering based on a generalization and not on the particular person. And they're trying something way too specific to try to target that person. Well, I think, though, it's a because of her age and stuff like that, it's actually probably a relatively good scam. Um, Unfortunately, though. They didn't have the name of the grandson, right? So it was so it wasn't extremely targeted. But the way that the way that this works, though, they probably didn't try this on one person, right? They they tried this on a number of different you know people along yeah. the way, and whoever answered the phone, they they just went into the shtick, right? Pray and pray. Exactly. Were, were the yeah. uh... The police not able to uh, get the guy to uh, give up the names of his buddies. We don't know. The article doesn't go into that. He might um, not have even known the names of his buddies. Well, and that's true. He he he's at the he's at the, well. Okay, if if it was if it was if the scam was being done properly, he probably he has a contact, but he doesn't know anything else beyond that, right? They they isolate the information along the chain so that if somebody does get caught, they can't implement every you know uh, everybody in yeah. the scam. That's very cloak and dagger. Yeah, it is. So, but here, so here's typically how these refund scams will go, um, or the, these kinds. Of, I, I I picked the refund scam because this is the one. If you get online, you go find Kip Boga, and you look at um, scammer payback, and um, oh, the other guy, James, Jim. I don't know. Is he, he he's probably the best, and I can't remember his name. Which the, is which is the one who sets who do who sends the glitter bombs? Okay, so that's Mark Rover. So ah, he okay. worked with Scammer Payback and and to 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 get that glitter bomb to them, right? So it's the the guy who um it's it's Pierogi from Scammer Payback, who is really he he's kind of the the brain behind that. Mark Rover built the glitter bomb, but the person who got the glitter bomb to the actual, you know, scammer or, or to the money mule, right? We didn't get to the scammer. Um, was, it was, was pierogi at its scammer payback. But so the way that these typically work is the, 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 there's, there's a couple different ways, but one of the ways that they really like to, in, in the cleanest way for them is to get you to buy, um, gift cards and then to pay them with gift cards, right? To redeem the gift cards. So, you know, Google Play cards and stuff like that. Wait a minute. I thought that paying bail with gift cards was the new thing. I thought that's what the police wanted. These <laughs> right, days. Exactly. Right. They want gift cards now. Just, and so know, ever since the, ever since the ID, the FBI started taking the, the money, the money transfers to unlock your computer. I thought that the, <laughs> the police were taking gift cards. So, yeah. So gift cards is one way. Sending money through Western Union is another, but that I, I'm not seeing that one as often anymore. That that one, they I think that I think that that has been um, that's become more difficult because Western Union was getting a lot of pressure. I'd have to look in to verify that. And the other way is to send money through through um, FedEx or you know or one of the you know other other way to do this. And it's illegal to send cash that way. You're not supposed to do it. Um, but one thing about all these. All these methods, the money card, the gift card, Western Union, is that once you put that in that money into that source, that money is gone. You don't have any way of stopping right. it. Whereas with the Western Union, or no, with the UPS method, right, 
they have been they, they, we're seeing interceptions and and we're and they're able to get money back to people. I mean, we're talking some sometimes you know twenty thousand dollars. I think was one of the sums that they were able to return back to the person before it got to the scammer. And but but they have to. They, it's pretty elaborate what they have to tell people to do. They have to wrap each one of these these you know they 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 put the bills into different chunks. Right, and then they have to be wrapped in foil, and then they put them in the box, and usually with books or something as well, because it, because it has to get past, you know, you know, uh, you know, they have to be willing to ship it out. And then what they do is they 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 they, they have you send it to a usually an Airbnb, and that way that you know because they don't want to send it to to somebody's house, so you, they use an Airbnb. Somebody and somebody staying at the Airbnb will receive the package, the money mule, and then they then they'll take their cut and pass it on. And so that's where the like if you've watched the Mark Rover stuff, that's the piece where they were able to intercept and replace the money with the glitter bomb, um, which is you know that's great that that they're able to do that a couple of times. But this is going on. This is so common. But the idea that they would go to somebody's house to do it. That's the amateur piece. You know, there's no M anonymity there at that point, right? They 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 missed a whole chunk of it. Um, where we're using FedEx and that, you know, they'll intercept the truck and say, "Hey, do you have a package for this person?" And of course, it's a fake name. You know, they get the money, and and you know, and and then pretty much it's untraceable after that. So, wow, yeah. And so they, these scams are, you, you know, you you would think, why the heck does that work? The Social Security one is the same kind of thing. Um, in in worse in some ways because <clears throat> you're, you're basically your social security number is being used illegally, and so and so to protect your identity, we're going to cancel your social security number and we're going to issue you a new one. But the problem is that you know all your money in the bank and stuff like that is going to become frozen when that happens. So what we so what we want to do is you're going to send us fifty thousand dollars or whatever you know whatever number that they think that they can get you to send, and we're going to put that into an account for you. We're going to create this special account for you. And once that, so that, so that, you know, so that you'll be able to get to that money while we're doing all these other things, right? So that, so that, you know, so we have, but you have to send us $50,000 cash for us to put into that account to get that started, to open that up for you. So here's how I got one of those social security <clears throat> ones to hang up on me. Okay. Um, he told me my social security number was canceled. I said, okay. And he said, Okay, so if you could just tell me your social security number, I said, I don't have one. And he said, you don't have one. I said, no, because you just told me it was canceled. So I don't have one. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. He got he got really, really frustrated at that point. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's not, this is not just one guy, right? This is, oh, no, no. These, this, these is, are... uh, this is an epidemic. This is, a, this is an epidemic of people who think that, uh, think that, your money would be better served by being in their pockets. It's worse than that. It, these people, a lot of these people that you're talking to on the phone, this is just a job for them. They're being employed to do this, right? They're yep. they're going to an office and making scam calls. That's their job. It's the it's the boss above them who you know who who's setting the scam up. You know, so <laughs> there, there's a piece of this that is so unfortunate that that people in India. Are, are taking this as job as a, as a job? I mean, isn't that, isn't that crazy? It's, it's become so so prolific that you can you can go get a job being a scammer at one of these places. Mm. It's, it's just incredible. Yeah, you you, you kind of like to think that your scammers are just uh, 
uh, some guys uh, sitting around, uh, you know, like uh, in their home or whatever, uh, joking around with each other and probably making fun of the people they call her. But yeah, to to think that uh, they're just like they're in an, they're in a cubicle somewhere. <laughs> exactly, isn't that crazy? And, they, and they're meeting with friends at the water cooler and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really insidious. And the thing of it is, I'm sure that they are. I'm sure that they're they're uh, brought into this in the first place with the thought that, or with the uh, with the belief that Americans can afford to be scammed, but they're picking on very very vulnerable people. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I I hate to I hate to kind of go into the mind of the scammer there. I don't know. I think that I think that they know. Right, I, 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 and I, I think that they know damn good and well what they're doing, but on the other hand, they need a paycheck too, right? So I, ha- it's not like I don't have a little bit of compassion there, um, for for the situation that they might be in. At the same time, what they're doing is just so Pity. immoral. I mean, it's just, it's just really awful. And in in the people that they're hurting, like you say, are the are vulnerable population. This is their retirement money that that yep. these people are stealing. But I, I'm glad that – so my, my mom, you know, I, I've tried to tell her about these things as much as possible, but she finally found Kip Boga. And if you haven't, if you haven't watched any of his stuff, he's hilarious. He, he's an easy one to watch because he's hilarious. Where the guys from Scammer Paybacks and stuff like that, they're not quite as funny, but um, they, do, they do, you know, waste their time a lot. And, but they'll also reverse hack them and delete their files and stuff like that, which <laughs> I think is awesome. Um, and so, the, but they're much more, there's much more activism going on on some of these channels. Um, and some of them are more entertaining. Um, both are valuable because they're wasting the time of these scammers. And if they're, and if you're wasting the time of, of a scammer, he's not scamming somebody who, you know, who, who's liable to be a victim. Who is more vulnerable. Right. Exactly. So waste their time by all means. Um, you know, it, uh, if you want to scam uh, bait you know, though. Uh, like, but if you got like this, uh, cubicle farm making all these calls and you got like, a lot of them over in India, you you know, you're just putting a drop in the bucket there uh, for whoever. It just means being more scam baiters out there, you know, ra- taking taking up their time. It's an art, you know, and the people that are really good at it, they put the videos on on uh, on YouTube and they make, and they're and they're making a living at it. Hmm. Um, but some of these guys like you know scammer payback and uh, I can't remember Jim something. Who was really the guy who who he he started that he's he was doing it back when like some of the first ones were the Microsoft tech calls, but there's another one right. Microsoft is going, your computer's infected. We need to help you remove it. And they get in there and they you mess it up and say, oh well, you know, yeah, we can we can fix it, but you know, you need to send us you know some money, basically. Uh, you know, yeah. you buy a support plan. You're gonna buy a support plan from us, and we're gonna you know we're gonna protect your computer. Yep, got them to hang up on me too. <laughs> Yeah, but here's the thing: is that I I don't want you to I don't want you to get them to hang up on you. I I want you to waste their time. No, I I know, I know. I but I, I will tell you, um, not not necessarily my story to tell, but it's still a pretty good one. I've got a coworker who loves to get these scam calls because, uh, particularly the Microsoft ones, because what he'll do is he'll set up a virtual machine. Exactly. Yep. And. He'll let them do whatever they want for as long as they want, and then he just deletes the virtual machine. Yeah, okay, that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about scam baiting, that's that's the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah that that's the kind of stuff that you know that, and you have to go with it. You have to play naive, 
right? And you know, because in 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 it's as much as social engineering thing on your end, because you want to hook that you want to hook the scam, you know, the hook the scammer and and, and keep them on as long as possible, right? You want to yeah, waste I as just, much of I their just time. Don't have that kind of patience, unfortunately. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, but if you were making videos and and then able to monetize them afterwards, you you yeah, might I you know. might develop that patience. But yeah, I understand where you're coming from because it's it just. It can be, you know, watching them do this live is a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, scam baiting is, is not easy necessarily. They, they, these people are doing a lot of work, and there's some technical knowledge on the back end to set up the fake bank account, to make sure that the fake VM is set up properly so that they can't tell that it's a VM, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. So, But, um, you know, the, one of the ones, just a couple of the ones I watched, the uh, – not not with this incredibly uh, clumsy social engineering grandma your grandson's in in jail come bail him out but the engineering that they used was oh you're such a nice lady you remind me of my grandmother and then uh oh i transferred too much money to your account um i'm going to get in so much trouble help me please help me and then they show that the money is quote unquote in the account. Right. Yep. And it's it's really it's 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 I mean, it's disgusting, but it is it is beautifully engineered and well done. Yeah. So one of the things that they're doing there, right? So yeah, you know they 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 go in and they, and they edit the HTML, right? So they blank out the screen. <clears throat> There's this product called AnyDesk, and it allows the person that's controlling the other person's computer to blank out the screen. I, I think that they should eliminate that feature because it, it, it causes this exact problem. They can Now that they can go in and edit that, and then they bring up this command prompt, right? And they say, okay, how much was your refund? Go ahead and type your refund in there. And then you're typing, you know, $250. And then the scammer's adding a bunch of zeros on the back end, right? And then and they're like, wait, how much did you do? 25000 No, ma'am, you were supposed to do 250000 $25,000? $25, oh, my God, you, you've got to get that back to us. I'm going to lose my job, right? So, the, so they're playing that game with the, with the person on the other end, right? Because they, they put in the refund amount, right? And because that person on the other end is a, is a good person. Right. And has been told they're such a good person. You remind me of my grandmother. Right. They are going to move heaven and earth to try to save that person's job and save their save their livelihood. Right. And so they're going to try to send them that money back, no matter what it takes. Yep. Even though nothing was actually put into their account. Right. I've seen also where they they edit it. They they will actually send them to an edited version of what looks like their bank screen, and they could see the refund amount in their bank account. Well, no. See, they edit the bank account, so they'll tell you to log into your bank account, right? Okay. And and they and they and when you can actually you know you can right now edit the HTML on a page and add text into a page and that's exactly what they're okay. doing. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I saw. So it's one of those things that you learn when you're hacking web pages, right? So the, there's a there's a um, there's a uh, uh, um, there's a uh, it's called I think it's called Juice Shop, where it's a hackable web page that you can learn to hack on. Right, so you spin up, you can spin up a Docker container, and you can, and you, and you, um, and you learn to hack it in all these different ways. And there's, you know, and there's some tutorials that go with it. And so you can, you know, so you can learn a lot of things about hacking. And one of the things that they show you is editing the HTML. Um, that's one of the things you learn. I remember uh, 
I remember a uh, uh, long time ago, uh, at, at least a decade or two, um, I was on uh, an internet-based internet uh, chat uh, uh, program um, chatting to people. And it allowed you to put in HTML code. And one of the fun things you know, I figured out I could do was uh, put, put in uh, the HTML code uh, to make it look like somebody else had said something. There you go, right? Same Just kind like of copy, thing. Copy yeah. The, yeah. Oh, yep. wow. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that could easily be misused. It absolutely can be misused. Yeah, absolutely. And and there and that's so what what Dumbass is talking about is the same same trick that they're using here to edit their bank account. Now, let no, you know, the you know, the scam baiters are using a fake one that 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 they've built. Right? Um, but same same thing. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, so it's evil and it's out there, but Grandma nailed them this time. Uh, I nominate her to become the new Betty White. <laughs> there a uh, is there a nomination process? Is 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 there a council uh, that uh, every time a Betty White dies, they choose a new one? That's uh, there 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 must always be one. <laughs> yes, yes, all that. And there can only be one. <laughs> yep. I, actually, I think that if, uh, if there ever are two at one time, they will have to fight to the death. Yep, absolutely. Texas scientists' new COVID-19 vaccination is cheaper, easier to make, and patent-free. Mm -hmm. so, I thought that Texas scientist was actually an oxymoron. You know what? Is that not there, true? There's a lot. Actually, you know, we have MD Anderson down here. We, there's actually a lot of really great scientists down here. As much as we, as much as you want, <laughs> you you can dog on Texas government all day long, and and a lot of the people down here. But there are still some excellent scientists down here right. and great universities. I got, to, I got you to rise to the defense of your home state. Damn it. <laughs> Don't make me defend Texas. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brian, uh, I just remember the Alamo. So, yes. Um, so yes, a, a group of uh, Texas scientists are using, uh, it's a decade, decades old method to make vaccines, but uh, the big uh, difference in uh, what they're doing as compared to like all the other vaccine uh Makers is that uh, theirs is they're, they're just releasing it to the public. Like so, anybody who is able to make these kinds of vaccines uh, will be able to make it. Um, uh, this is a team led by doctors Peter Hotez and Maria Botazzi from the Texas Children's Hospital Sec Center for Vaccine Development at Baylor College of Medicine. Uh, <clears throat> big mouthful there. Okay, uh, so yes. Um, Basically, um, the the thing that differentiates this uh, from the uh, from the like our mRNA based uh, vaccines, as I understand it, mRNA va based vaccines um, will um, uh, put in like the mRNA code to make the protein uh, one of one of the proteins, the uh, surface protein of the COVID virus. Um, that's a very identifiable of it, and uh, makes your own cells create copies of that protein and send them out which your immune system will then be like, what the fuck is this? And try to clean it up and identify it to, uh, to recognize it later. The, this uh, this, virus, this uh, vaccine actually works on a similar method uh, in, in that it, um, it uh, uses, uh, it, it creates copies of the protein to identify the um, COVID virus. But uh, here they're using, they're using yeast in order to create the proteins rather than your own cells. So they, they put, uh, 
or or they'll use uh, bacteria. It says also. Mm. And th- this particular one, they're using yeast, but yeah. Um, okay. Uh, it's called uh, let's see, uh, recombinant protein subunit technology. Okay. Um, and I'm guessing that's the same. Uh, that's the same type of of vaccine production that I saw a while back, where they were talking about using E. coli to, uh, basically editing E. coli to make virus virus vaccines and things like that. Mm, it sounds like along similar lines. So what it what it says uh, here is pretty much anybody that can make a Hep B, that is B vaccine, or is capable of producing a microbial based protein like bacteria or yeast. So to to make a bacteria or yeast can replicate what what they're doing. So are, mm-hmm. are they actually using yeast, or is it just the same replication process as you would be doing for a bacteria or for a yeast? Um, I think they're actually using yeast okay. from what I read here. All right. Um, yeah, the process to create the vaccine involves the use of yeah. yeast. This is, yeah. Okay. So yeah, and right. so like yeah, hepatitis B vaccines. Uh, they're they're out there. People are making them. Uh, this uh this vaccine is called Corbivax, and uh, it's like free to use to. Or anybody, so like anybody who has like a facility to make these kinds of vaccine can pump them out, which uh, should be a big help to uh, especially um, uh, lower income countries that uh, are struggling to get enough vaccines. Well, and the other thing here is it seems like it's it's a lower technical challenge to do this than it is for an mRNA vaccine. It seems like there's a lot of specialized equipment right now that goes into the mRNA where something like this can be done in a lab somewhere where you're, you know, essentially growing stuff in a petri dish and, and, and you know, duplicating it, right? Mm, yeah, I think I, I think I heard of an uh, initiative uh, to um, to create a uh, duplication of. Uh, I think it was, uh, um, it, uh, like, it wasn't Moderna. That's the one. I think it was Moderna that they were trying to copy, and uh, it was going to be like a, a year long uh, thing to, or at least in order to. Uh, uh, try to get uh, get all that uh, together. Um, it, it, I think it was somewhere in Africa. I'm not sure, but anyway, like this, yeah. uh, if if uh, we put uh, this out there, like they, they can possibly uh, get a vaccine up and running in um, in many countries that otherwise don't have the capacity uh, fairly easily. Well, here's the thing: is that you can make yeast replicate at home. I do it when I make bread. Right? We do it when we make beer. So, so yeast replication is fairly simple. So I, I'm wondering. I mean, if if that if it really is that easy, and just having the you know the proper lab with this with the sterile environment, that this could be done in a lot of places, right? It sounds like it's not that you know not as cumber not too cumbersome, right? So if you are if somebody's already has the know how and, and the lab, they can probably make this make make this. Well, you remember yeah. uh, last last podcast I was talking about that that bit in the Scott Sigler book pandemic where one of the ways that they were, they were basically making people immune to the orbitals, uh, the orbitals devices was by giving them a yeast based uh, cellulose killer. So, you know, basically immunity beer. Sure. (laughs) Well, right. And this is important. You know the idea that they're doing this out of the patent. I I do think is is really good. You know, the, there's a lot of issues going on right now with particularly with Pfizer, and that you know they agreed to sell us, uh, the, uh, you know the uh, the price that that they wanted to sell even to the U.S. the the vaccine for was fairly high. 
and Moderna has been fairly straightforward in that you know that they were trying that they were trying not to profit off of it. And so so the Moderna price was, you know, 20 bucks or something for the US and so Pfizer had to come down, but they've tried to creep that price up. And in other places in the world, they all they 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 went in with these crazy prices too. They think though that you know the Pfizer vaccine probably costs about $6 per dose. Where this I think would be much cheaper. There's a note in here in the in the article also that there is actually a patent war going on right now between Moderna and the National Institutes of Health. Yeah. Over over whose whose patent whose patent act the the virus the uh, the vaccine actually is, and they may actually Moderna may be forced to pay more than a billion dollars to the National Institutes of Health if it's found against. Yeah, so I don't. I and of course not seeing that lawsuit. That I, I that makes me concerned in a lot of different ways because, you know, here we are trying to fight a pandemic, and these people are, are still squabbling over patents. Yep. Mm. Uh, um, uh, regarding uh, the effectiveness, uh, uh, the, not all the clinical trial data has been released yet uh, due to resource constraints. It says, um, but uh, they put out there that uh, uh, Corbivax was over 90% effective against original COVID and over 80% effective against Delta, um, but there's still no uh, data on its efficacy against Omicron. So that's, I mean, that is in line with the other vaccines that we're seeing. And maybe actually mm-hmm. slightly better efficacy than the Johnson & Johnson um, and, and slightly lower than the... Um, uh, than the mRNA, you know, from Pfizer and Moderna. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. uh, with uh, if it was a perfect world, we could get like Pfizer and Moderna out to everybody. But um, yeah. if we can, like, uh, what we really need is to get as many people vaccinated as possible, and if this will uh, help do that, even if it's uh, not as effective, that'll, you know, that'll be a huge deal. Is this a one or two dose regiment? Ooh, Does it say? I'm not sure. Yeah. Hopefully, it's one dose. Because one of the issues, and I guess it's not uncommon for for a vaccine to need multiple doses. I guess there's some vaccines that need up to five. Um, I don't know how many. The hepatitis one, I think, is quite a. It might might be a couple of the hepatitis B. I thought was two or three. So it's not an, it's unusual. But if they could do this in one dose, it's it it's, it'll be it's much easier to get somebody one dose than to get them to try to come back for the second one. Mm. But it doesn't say. I, I don't think I remember it saying in here if it's one or two dose. Right? No, I don't think so either. Well, I think the I'm second dose. I think the second dose of the mRNA is uh, to basically inject new batteries for the nanites, <laughs> and that's what the booster is too. Got to keep the tracking chip uh, up and running, huh? You do. You do because they can't. Uh, they haven't figured out a way to make it run off the human body's electricity yet. <laughs> Well, I think that I, I I hope this comes to fruition. I hope it's as good as, I hope it's as good as the article says it is because I think that that would be awfully helpful. I think that would be wonderful. So you know, for uh, at least one time, thank you, Texas. Yeah, Texas might earn a second star for this. <laughs> they might be the two stars today. Oh boy! All right, how do you domesticate humankind, Mac? So what they're talking about in this article here is they're talking about um, they're talking about early humans may have selected out a lot of alpha characteristics and bully characteristics that are now are now rarer traits 
basically making us more able to cooperate with each other and less likely to prey upon each other. So you're you're suggesting that evolution has led us to be less violent and more cooperative with each other, so more altruistic. That is the suggestion the article is making. And if the article is correct, then I'm going to editorialize just a little bit here by saying, boy, I wouldn't want to see uh, I wouldn't want to see what we'd be like if we hadn't done this. But, <laughs> you know, essentially it's it's uh, it's is saying that after they split from the Neanderthals, of the Denisovans, they they believe that part of the reason that we look so different from our ancestors is because we basically bred less aggressive characteristics. Uh, and then they talk in here about uh, genetic changes that arise as a, as a species is, red, is bred to be friendlier and less aggressive, like uh, smaller teeth, smaller skulls, floppy ears, shorter, curlier tails. Um, they're also saying that those animals also have fewer of neural crest stem cells. Okay. Neural crest. I'm not sure. I, what is a neural crest stem cell, does it say? Uh, they're saying they're, they're linking that to aggression. So um, part of that, I, I don't exactly know what the neural crest stem cell is, but they're talking about the they're talking about the significant physical change of smaller skulls, but you know, smaller skulls but with larger brains, less pronounced brow ridges, etc. Hmm. Okay. It does make some sense, but it is kind of a just-so story, I guess, and it does kind of paint, like, Neanderthals as violent and brutish, which, you know, may not be uh, may not really be fair. Anything close to the truth. Yeah. We assume that they were violent and brutish because we, uh, because they look violent and brutish to us, mm -hmm. but there's no more evidence to say that Neanderthals were violent and brutish than to say that Cro-Magnons were violent and brutish. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, and, and even if uh, um, violence has been minimized to an extent, I mean, we know uh, as a species we're still capable of a lot of violence. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Anyway, the article doesn't really tell enough of why they think these changes occurred. Yeah. It's really just... It's really just talking about the theory that they did. Well, and the, but the phrasing that we domesticated ourselves is weird. And I'm not sure that I yeah. I really got the gist of where they were going with that from the article. Well, I, they, they said that we selected we, – we essentially selected, naturally selected the, uh, the aggressive characteristics out. Okay. So in other words, it, it's saying that the chicks – Back then, dug nice guys instead of instead of bullies, instead of alpha males. But if that's really the truth, then why would we not still see that today? Well, maybe we do. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's still happening. <clears throat> I mean, mm. Steven Pinker, his book uh, "The Better Angel or Nature," shows how we how we become less violent over time. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah, still um, happening. He he he, uh, uh, he puts that uh, if I remember correctly through mostly uh, from like human tribesmen uh, towards like modern time, which uh, you, you know like uh, by the by the time you get to human tribesmen, like uh, humans are already fully evolved. Yeah. Uh, into uh, 
that kind of stuff. So I'm not sure how much you can talk about evolution, although certain traits uh, can uh, be emphasized in certain ways over generations. But he is yeah, showing... I've always ascribed that to societal evolution rather than physical evolution. Well, okay, but here's the thing: that the point is that it, it, we can show that it's happening, right? He showed he he showed over a time period that we became, you know, less violent. So, I mean, it, it's not, it it happens over time, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I mean, and just because where he he chose an arbitrary point to start, that doesn't mean that was the start of it. It could have been going on for much longer, right? True enough, and uh, we we don't uh, we don't really know uh, that much about uh, how aggressive our ancestors really were. Right. Yeah. We At don't. least I don't think we don't. Was there, is there something in the um, article that uh, no. there wasn't? Yeah. No. There really wasn't. There's an assumption that Denisovans and Neanderthals were more violent and more brutish, but they don't really they don't really say why they thought that. Yeah, because. Um, uh, we're equally related to uh, chimpanzees and bonobos, and uh, uh, one of them is a lot more violent than the other. Yep. Yeah. Like we we don't we don't know what the ancestor was like. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, that's true. We we know that uh, we know that bonobos are much more violent than chimpanzees, and they're sneakier about it. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> what article did you read? <laughs> <laughs> No, um, yeah, as as Brian is wont to say, bonobos just like a lot of sex. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you've also got to say, you also have to look at the fact that, you know, times they lived in versus what they had available as tools back then, we have vastly, um, you know, the the automatic rifle to the nuclear bomb is as the spear is to the automatic rifle in terms of how fast and how efficiently and how easily one can bring bodily harm with it. You know, mm. you, you think about it, you look back in history, if we had if we had lent more towards our bonobo DNA, perhaps, you know, a duel would have looked very different. More like a circle jerk, maybe. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I do. I do like uh, the, the whole thing about uh, the bonobo GG rubbing. Yep. Can, can you imagine, uh, like Betty, Susan, hey, boom, boom. <laughs> uh, you're, you're talking a very different type of sword fight, huh, Brian? <laughs> I'm talking a very different type of sword fight. <laughs> yep. And you know, ten paces turn and ejaculate quickly. Oh well, there'd be there'd be no ten paces. It, you know, it's like. You look like you're having an off day. Drop your drawers and let me fix you. I don't know. If you can hit somebody from 10 paces, you you, you deserve to <laughs> win on that one. Uh, all right. So we talked about, you know, we, we I think we talk about, we, we bring up evolution a lot, it seems like, when we talk about natural selection and how that mutation is random. But uh, we had that conversation in just the last podcast. I have an article here from Science Daily. It says, DNA mutations are not random. New research readily changes our understanding of evolution. So in this particular, they're, they're looking at plant um, genetics here. And they were um, in, uh, what, what plant is it? Does it say? Um, or is that the same DNA? You know, they, they go through, you know, the common, you know, the commonly what we think, you know, that, that, that mutation is random. 
but what they, what they did here is they had they 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 had these plants and and they you know they looked through the DNA of all the plants and they they said that they had um, let's see they looked at 100, 120 million base pairs and they had something like two million um, mutations in the DNA. But what they found when they started looking at this is that they found a pattern. And what they found is actually really, really cool. That that they found that that there that the mutation in the DNA was not um, equal across all parts of the DNA. That certain certain DNA that coded for certain things was less likely to mutate. So so like the critical pieces. So the guy that I was listening to that described this is imagine you have a car, and okay. And the, and the, the thing and, where certain parts of the uh, DNA are, have more stringent protections on them. Yes. So, like a car must have round wheels to to, to move, right? So it's so the so your so the wheel so the wheel part of the DNA would be less likely to mutate than the color portion because the color portion can mutate without affecting its ability to still be a car, right? So the idea is that certain ports of portions of the DNA. Are, are less likely to mutate that have better protections than other parts that, that that don't code for you know for things that are as important. So color is something that 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 could change without affecting the whole without affecting the whole plant. Or think of oh. them as uh, as perhaps write protected files inside of an sure. operating system. Sure. Right. Yeah. Some stuff that you can move around and and copy. Yeah. So so there'd be less likely to be mutations in those in those things that it can't live without that if it changes those things that it fails right oh. yeah pretty pretty interesting okay well and i wonder how many of these these items that are these mutations in in the genome these possible mutations in the genome are things from ancestors of the plant that it just simply kept in its toolbox that it can go back to if they need to. Okay, you know, it doesn't get into that, but now you're talking about what we talked about with the crab, the idea that, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. the crab goes back to to its original state if if something changes, you know, out of whack, it, it can it can revert. And um he doesn't talk about that. They were just talking about, you know, that about all the different mutations and that they saw patterns with the mutations and that and that they in particular they saw certain places of that that don't mutate. Right, they're less likely to have a mutation. They could mutate, but but they're far less likely to have a mutate. So the rates of mutation are different across the DNA depending on what they code for. Okay, um, <clears throat> I, I'd be curious now, based upon what I'm seeing about the the genome of the plant versus the genome of a human, I'm wondering how many base pairs crabs have. I do not know. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, I would assume that it's you know. Uh, at least, yeah. Twice. Okay, I see what you're saying. So that's just a genome pairs as humans, though, because they've got more legs. So researchers spent three years sequencing the DNA of hundreds of of a particular type of plant that I cannot read. It says uh, this little chest. Arabidopsis thaliana. Yeah. So a small flower weed uh, considered to considered to be the lab rat amongst plants. Uh, being a rel- relatively small genome of around 120 million base pairs compared to a human that has roughly 3 billion base pairs. So I don't, yeah, so it is a good question. What are the base pairs of um, um, of the crab? But you got to imagine that, that there's got that, that this, and I guess that they have to show that this is true, you know, in 
in in different you know in, in different creatures and stuff like that in different different you know DNA sequences. But it stands to reason that it, that it would be because there are certain things. The humans have to have a heart. If they don't, if if for some reason you know they genetically code for not a heart, you know we don't have a viable baby. And yeah, we can get a Grinch. Right. So most people are born with a heart. Most people are born with two you know two ears, two eyes, and a mouth. Let's talk. Let's talk pigeons a little bit. Okay. Um, Darwin did experimentation on pigeons and found that he could select certain very, very different traits within a couple of generations just by selective breeding. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the things that he was mutating, right, the things that he was selecting for were things that didn't affect the overall ability for it to be a bird. Some of the things, some of the things mm. were, were kind of far out, like he'd select, he'd select mm. and get really, really different feathers. He'd select and get different shaped beaks. He'd select and get uh, much, much bigger, heavier bodies so that they wouldn't necessarily be able to fly. But you're right. Fundamentally, they were still a bird. And they and he didn't. Which George is about not to be. Right. So they all had wings. Right. I mean, so I mean, there, there are certain things that, uh, you know, for much like the car, they're have, having round wheels. The bird needs to have wings. Right. Yeah, and I mean it's a, it's not that uh, surprising when you consider uh, just how much of a variety of species of uh, or breeds of uh, dogs there are, uh, that are all from uh, just uh, human uh, selective breeding. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that I th- I found that to be pretty interesting article. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to even notice that a pug has anything to do with a Great Dane, but uh, they're basically the same type of animal. Exactly, with it, with oh, it, you and, know, and yeah. In the last twenty years, a pug has gone from being a, a relatively medium-sized dog to being a much smaller and a far more helpless dog than it yeah, used they, to be. Yeah, they've changed the DNA. Pugs they've... used to be considered fighting dogs, and now they just fight sleep apnea. Yeah. All right, we're going to end with ten times nature. Uh, stunned us in 2021 from Live Science. Okay. All right. So there's some interesting, interesting stuff in here. Um, the first thing that's in the article is essentially that a bee, a bee species created its own immortal clone, clone army. Um, one bee species created its uh, its army of and this is through a weird genetic fluke, but they created an army of perfectly identif- identical clones. Um, they they can reproduce via parthenogenesis or asexual reproduction, but it normally leads to an unsustainable loss of genetic material. Mm. What happened here was uh, these were uh, South African Cape honeybees. They were able to sexually asexually reproduce without losing any genetic material. Now, now we haven't heard about the murder hornets in a while. Is this related? Are are the are these <laughs> reacting to the murder these hornets? Are, these are different things, and we don't ever talk about the murder hornets because they can hear us and they'll come back. They, they do bring up some interesting points about how long could it do this before you or did it suffer stuff like colony collapse and stuff like that? Because with, without some very uh, genetic variation, you do make yourself vulnerable. But what they what they found what they started doing was that the worker bees started scheming to put their own progeny into into the queen's position instead so they started inserting inserting their daughters into 
royal chambers to be picked as the queen. Yeah, I I saw that. Woohoo. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh got got some like uh some uh, heredity uh uh infighting going on there. Yep. Um the second article in here, the second piece of this article is about how some Welsh rabbits ended up digging up a bunch of archaeological treasures. They they found that rabbits had unearthed a 9,000-year-old Stone Age tool and a 3,750-year-old 37, pottery piece, likely from the Stone Age. They found these things just sitting outside a rabbit warren. I tell you, those Watership Down rabbits always getting into stuff. <laughs> rabbits, are, rabbits are good diggers. I don't think that we always think of that, but they are good diggers. They're extraordinary diggers. Um, third part is sea turtles basically found an underwater current that allowed them to rapidly traverse halfway across the world and to do so safely without becoming too cold and um, becoming too cold and, and freezing. So they basically surfed through a momentary warm, warm watering in the warm opening in the cold water barrier during El Nino and they basically cut halfway across the world. Old news. Finding Dory called it. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Um, snakes shove their heads inside living frogs' bodies so they can eat their guts. This is crazy. I, I, I would, oh yeah. wow! And gruesome. Well, but here's the thing: is that I mean, snakes. I mean, the, I mean, snakes typically they, they eat whole. I whole. You know, <laughs> they they're they're they eat whole. And this yeah. one, the idea that it's going in and just getting the guts is fascinating. Uh, it, although it notes that they're normally, uh, they're they're normally part of their normal habitat. Habiting is to slice open eggs with their fangs. Okay. So they're just essentially using the frogs like they would the eggs. I'm surprised they just wouldn't eat the eggs whole too. I mean, I, just the fact that they're that they're slicing anything. Is yeah, you know is a behavior is that they're saying that they're probably doing it to avoid the toxic parts of the frog. Sure, that then yeah, because frogs have a lot of stuff on the, on their skin and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess these snakes have great aim if they're like uh, waiting for the frog to croak or something, then pounce. They still might be a constrictor. They might still be you know constricting it, but then instead of swallowing it whole, they they you know then they eat the insides. Mm. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. It didn't say anything about the attack this method. Is a, this is uh, These are kukri snakes. I'm not sure if they're constrictors or if they're um, venomous, or maybe even not. We've got snakes that are not constrictors and not venomous that are small prey eaters, like like garters and bull snakes. Um, but those are constrictors. Oh, okay. I did not know that the garter snake was a constrictor. Yeah, so depending on the garter snake, right? Well, of course, you know, they'll eat fish whole, right? Maybe they can't constrict, but a bull snake definitely is a constrictor. Okay. I wasn't sure. The garter snake, a lot of times they're eating fish and other things like that. They're not eating mice and stuff like that. So they might not constrict. They might just be eating something whole. Because, you know, a fish a lot of times doesn't have a lot of mechanisms to fight back. So it might not eat eat a lot of insects, too. Yeah, so you're right. So they you, might not be constrictors. If you constrict an insect, you're pretty much getting good. Yeah, that that's probably true too. So uh, anyway, the next thing in this article is about this heron apparently ate an eel and ate the eel whole. And as the heron was flying, the eel found a way to 
burst out of the heron's chest and uh, essentially pulled a pulled an alien on it. Wow. So they initially had thought the eel was biting into the heron, but they realized afterwards that the eel was hanging halfway out of the heron. Wow. That that's pretty amazing. I mean, uh yeah, uh dinosaurs it was a bad idea to to evolve teeth out. <laughs> um a mountain goat took down a grizzly bear with its horns. Okay, well, I mean that's that, that that's I'm not sure I find that so surprising. Yeah, but uh, apparently they found that the bear had been stabbed multiple times in the neck and the armpit. So bears usually hunt by attacking the neck and back and shoulders. So essentially it looks like it took targets of opportunity as it was being attacked. Yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised. I mean those they they want to live, right? And that's their tool for defense. So if they if it got yeah, in, if I it mean, got the right attack in. Yeah, it, yeah, if uh if one of them gets lucky and uh just has the right, right angle and is able to just uh keep batting away like that, uh yeah, I, I can see them uh getting a victory. It's possible that the bear rolled a 1 on its attack and that the goat rolled yeah. a 20. Uh, definitely rolled a one. Several twenty. He, he definitely rolled several twenties. <laughs> <laughs> um, they uh, they also recently digitized logbooks of nineteenth-century whalers, and found out that in a in space of a few years, whalers the strike rates of whalers on their targets decreased by fifty-eight percent, which is because the sperm whales had learned to swim upwind of the wind-powered boats to stay out of range. Well, they pass that information on to other sperm whales. Yeah, so whales that hadn't encountered the whalers before were able to able to defend, so they definitely were communicating that information. That is incredible, isn't it? It is. The amount that we don't yeah. know about I mean, whales the, is... Uh, the, the, uh, the harpoon man is on his harpoon looking for the whale. He doesn't see it. Where could he have gone? Then the whale is beside him. Lever girl, he says, as he tries to turn his harpoon in time. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a cartoon about that, and it was the velociraptor thinking, wait, is he flirting with me? I'm going to try to kiss him. <laughs> and then the next thing you see, she's like, oh, my God, I'm so clumsy. I saw that one. <laughs> um, and the next one here is... Cane toads are actually speeding, eating so many up of their young that they're speeding up evolution. Uh, they're cannibalizing themselves to the point where it's making them evolve faster. They were brought into Australia to eat up sugar beet or eat, eat up beetles or eat, destroying the sugar cane fields. And it turns out that the toads, as happens in most of these cases where they bring in something non-native, had no natural predators. So they're Population jumped from 102 to 200 million, and they resorted quickly to cannibalism. Yeah, so talked about the short period that after their, their, what? And what they've done is they've evolved to spend far less time in a vulnerable state. They basically mature faster. Yeah, in here it said their vulnerable period, and that that they were they, they decreased it by like a week or two? Just one fifth, one fifth wow. less time. So, for Australia, infestations of toads, infestations of mice, infestations, and, of, 
infestations of Anglo-Saxons. <laughs> You'd think their uh, their badass spiders would be able to take care of it, but no. And they've got a bit here about uh, apparently sea snakes are trying to get frisky with divers by mis- and mistaking them mistaking them for possible potential mates. Now, these are poison. These are venomous, rather. These are venomous yes. creatures. They are venomous and sexually So I don't really creature. want them to lick me. Yep. So, yeah, so so basically they, they, they've, um, they have recently evolved to, 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 to the water, and so they still don't have great vision in the water, and so they don't know whether or not it is another... Is, is a the males don't know whether it's a female until they lick it, and the and the females are actually hiding from the males during mating season, <laughs> and they swim away from them too. So right. when a diver swims away from the snake, they just figure that's playful mating behavior. Yeah, wow. So they're a species that likes to play hard to get. Yep, apparently. And since the since the sea snakes are are venomous and sexually frustrated, has anyone checked to see if they're incels? <laughs> and the last bit in here is that a tardigrade became the first quantum entangled animal in history. Come on. Um, they, they, fro- they basically, the scientists in Denmark forced the animals into their frozen states by cooling them down within a mere fraction above absolute zero, the temperature at which atoms stop vibrating and placed them within an electrical systems. So they brought them into a state of temporary quantum entanglement by linking their properties with that of the electrical device. Uh, apparently, they only had one that survived being reanim- reanimated, though. Now, the, the, the ones that didn't survive, did they have to look into a box first in order to discover it? I do not know. <laughs> that is a good question. Um, you know, they're still looking for Schrodinger's cat. They've got posters up everywhere saying wanted dead and alive. <laughs> you know, tardigrades are amazing. They, and they just, they, their ability to, uh, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, they've gone everywhere. They've been launched into space. They made it incredible. Yeah, amazing. Yep. All right. Well, there you go. Ten things that, 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 that surprised us, scientific things that surprised us this year. Well, nine. Uh, you know, you guys weren't too surprised about the uh, the goat. Which one? The, the mountain goat didn't yeah. surprise you. That no, much. I, 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 yeah, I, I'm not terribly surprised by that one. I do have oh, to yeah. say that uh, I, I saw the movie The King's Man a couple weeks ago, and there were goats in that movie, and I watched a goat chimney, uh, mm-hmm. chimney, a uh, climb up a chimney in a mountainside, a sheer mountainside. And I did not know they could do that. I've yep. seen pictures of goats on sheer surfaces that you don't wouldn't think anything could uh, climb on. Yeah, they're impressive. I guess they only need like uh, a nine degree a nine degree slope and uh, uh, like a quarter inch of, of a quarter inch of grip, and that's all they need to climb it. That is that is, that is crazy impressive, for sure. Yep. All right. Yeah, and we might as well end the show with some wonder, right? Yeah. Yep. Usually people wonder at us for different reasons. <laughs> yep. I don't feel like we're ending on a disappointment, though. That was pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, then say goodnight, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. It's another horny sea snake in the can. <laughs> if you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time. You're never getting back. 
but the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons Sharealike No Derivatives 3.5 license. Intro music by Peter Kennold. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash P-K-A-N-O-L. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Board. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.